You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Manning Salvage and Lee CEO Mark Haas goes on the record online at the PRSA International Conference in Detroit, 2008. I could make the case that um, the public relations industry as we've known it for the last 10 or 15 years is dead. I mean, we can, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, this, in, this, this, this meeting is a, uh, here in Detroit is a little bit of a eulogy for the industry as we knew it. And thank you for downloading this episode of On the Record Online, recorded at the PRSA International Conference in Detroit, 2008. Today we have a one-on-one with uh, keynote speaker Mark Haas. He is the CEO of Manning, Salvage and Lee, one of the largest public relations firms in the world. And we had a chance to talk to him about Manning, Salvage and Lee's strategy for penetrating China, his acquisition strategy for buying new firms, and what it takes to be a managing director at MSNL. Hi, this is Chris Bechtel, and I'm the Vice President of Products and Services with iPressroom. As part of a new segment we're testing here called What You Can Do with iPressroom. In each episode, we're going to highlight one practical use of the iPressroom media platform. Today, we're talking about one of our core offerings, the online pressroom. Using iPressroom's media platform content management system, non-technical communications pros can easily upload, manage, measure, and distribute their content in a full-featured, branded online pressroom. See pressroom.target.com for an example. The same is available on a smaller scale as well for nonprofits, smaller organizations, and mid-sized companies. If you'd like to learn more, feel free to email us questions to info at ipressroom.com or visit us on the web at www.ipressroom.com slash demo. Mark Haas, CEO of MSNL, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, nice to be here. So you're here at the conference, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about uh, the impact of digital communications on our industry um, and uh, more and more that's becoming an important important task that we have to include in our uh, in our campaigns and programs. And and you you guys have a new digital practice, right? I read something about that. Well, we have a digital practice that we launched uh, two years ago, actually. Um, but one of the ironies, of course, of, of MSNL is that uh, Mark Hass has been involved in uh, digital communication since he got in the public relations business in 1995 when he founded a firm right here in Michigan uh, that was based on the idea that the internet was going to change the way large uh, large companies and institutions communicated. Little did I know then how much it was going to change it. But we've been in the internet business, and I've been in the internet communications business for uh, quite a while, uh, going on 13 years. Um, uh, we ex- dramatically expanded our practice last year so that we now are doing um, uh, sophisticated digital programs around the world in multiple languages. How dramatic is this change going to be? I think it's uh, uh, altered the industry almost um, um, uh, uh, in a permanent way. I mean, I could make the case that um, uh, the public relations industry as we've known it for the last 10 or 15 years is dead. I mean, we can, 
uh, in a lot of ways, uh, this, 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 this meeting is a, uh, here in Detroit is a little bit of a eulogy for the industry as we knew it. And, you know, it was an industry that, that grew up around two core functions, which was to uh, be an advisor to, to our clients and to be an advocate for our clients. That's basically, uh, you know, you come up with good strategies based on sound judgments, you develop very effective and implement very effective um, communications program based on those strategies, and that's where it stopped. In a digital age, there's a third component to what we do. I think that'll be critical to our uh, ultimate survival and our ultimate success. And that's what we call uh, the idea of activism. And, and the public relations professional, the communications professional, has this new third role that he or she has to embrace. And that is using uh, uh, digital technology to, to create activists for his or her clients in this new space, in these new social networks. Because as we know, as A.G. Laffley says, and a lot of other uh, very smart people, people are a lot smarter than me, they, you know, they're telling us that consumers are now in control and, and the companies are losing control of their brands. Well, how do, you, how do you take advantage of the fact that there are millions of consumers out there who are um, uh, passionate uh, about their brands that they use. And I would argue that our job as, as, as public relations professionals is to turn them into activists for our brands and companies and make them um, champions for us in this new space. So Mark, you're an early adopter. You've been doing this stuff a long time, but you're also advising uh, global conglomerates uh, that are controlled by boards that are somewhat removed from social media. I mean, if you look at the adoption rates of social media, social networking, uh, for 55 plus males, and that's the boardroom, uh, they're not using this stuff. So, so what do you say when they say to you, why? Why should we bother? Well, I mean, there's a lot of good, uh, lot of good case studies. I wish I could, uh, I could show you the presentation I'm going to do later this afternoon that um, demonstrates pretty conclusively that brands uh, and individuals can get caught up in these conversations that are happening in these social networks and uh, become either victimized by them or um, empowered by them. Um, I, I think perhaps the most effective um, way to talk about the impact of digital communication strategies on business success is to use the Barack Obama campaign as a case study. So if I had someone in here who still prints out his own email and, and I wanted to explain to him why these networks are, are powerful, I would talk about Barack Obama and how he has used the internet to create what I, what I call an activist political campaign. He's using the same strategies that um, uh, activists, online activists use around causes. Um, and has, uh, in the course of two years, gotten 2.3 million people to contribute to his campaign. Now that contrast is an interesting contrast about how times have changed and political um, uh, campaigns have changed. John F. Kennedy had 21,000 co contributors to his presidential campaign in 1960. Barack Obama will probably have 2.4 or 2.5 million when this campaign is over. That fundamentally changes the way presidents get elected. And the way he's been able to put together that sort of large grassroots um, uh, social network is by using online techniques, by sort of embracing them and being, becoming a master of them. And I would argue that companies need to do the same thing. There's no better way, I mean, if you look at Barack Obama as a marketing campaign, and I think it's fair to do it now that AdAge has named him Marketer of the Year, um, uh, what, what was he successful at? In marketing terms, he was very successful at aggregating customers. In marketing terms, he was very successful in building a passionate 
and deep connection to those customers. And in marketing terms, he was able to, to, um, uh, to do transactions with them. The first transaction, of course, is, is raising money. The, ne the next transaction will come uh, a week from Tuesday when Americans go to the polls and, and, and pull the lever. We'll see, we'll see how he does. Well, certainly uh, we all look at the political campaigns as being indicative of where we might be headed um, from a brand marketing standpoint. Uh, but one of the things you notice when you just sort of survey the landscape is that the entrenched market leaders uh, that, that are looking at their stock price rise, even in this economy, seem to be more and more the ones that are more opaque and more resistant to social media adoption. And then it appears that when the stock price is diving and there's a pain in the boardroom, that's when they seem to be more willing to try their hand at social media. Do you see any relationship between stock price and adoption willingness? Well, I mean, I'd argue with the with the assumption behind the question. I think I could give examples of companies that fall on both both sides. A company like Google, for example, is quite transparent and uh, quite open in participating uh, in these. And, and no company has created more more value in uh, in our lifetimes. Full stop. Well, let's talk about Google for a minute. I mean, on the one hand, yes, they are fairly open with their blog, blogs and that types of thing. But in terms of their algorithm, it's the best kept secret of the modern age. Yeah, well, you know, participating in social networks doesn't mean you give away um, the formula for Coke. Um, what Google does that, that's very effective, and it isn't just participating in blogs, I would argue that what they have allowed to happen is they have allowed their brand to be shaped by their social networks, that they have not um, held tightly uh, to the definition and the nature of the Google brand. They have allowed their customers to help them define it. Now, there are other companies who have been quite successful um, who have taken quite the opposite tack. You think of the energy companies in, in that context. You think of the ExxonMobil's who I don't think participate uh, as openly as they potentially could in that environment, although um, uh, BP has made some interesting strides in trying to do that. Um, um, but ultimately, I think a business cannot uh, be successful uh, in, in establishing a healthy brand without allowing its customers to help define that brand. They have to give up some control, not all control, but some control over how their brand is, is defined. And I, and I would argue that if I had to choose one or the other, if, if, if the only thing I could choose was either full control of my brand in this environment or no control of my brand in this environment, I would give up control of my brand to the social networks and let them define it because ultimately, it'll be much better adapted for success in that environment than if I tightly control what, what people think about or say about it. For so long, before the internet, uh, the media had sort of controlled one-to-many communications in this country and the world. Yeah. And now, obviously, all you've got to do is publish to the network, and you can get it out there. Uh, I've got to think that a number of global, global brands are still coming to MSNL and saying, hey, guys, we want media coverage. We want media coverage. Handle our media relations. Is, is, is it true? Is media relations a business driver for you and your client business? It's a core offering. Um, uh, it's, a high, it's, a, it's becoming a commoditized offering, I think. Um, and um, uh, it's no longer enough to just offer media relations. If that's what you do as a public relations firm, you're not going to survive. But Why? Why is that? Because it's not enough anymore. I mean, as you pointed out, there are a lot of influencers now who are important to your brand, important to your cause. And a public relations counselor, a communications firm, needs to be more sophisticated in how they map those influencers. Now, media are, are important 
are an important group of influencers. Um, uh, anyone who says, I don't need the New York Times, I don't need the Wall Street Journal, I don't need Bloomberg, I don't need the Financial Times, is either crazy or lying. Of course you need them, but they are just one part of, uh, of, of the puzzle. I think you also need uh, third-party advocates. I think you also need um, influential consumers who use word of mouth to shape the news. I think you also need um, um, uh, bloggers who are very, very focused on a specific category and who uh, are relied upon by media for information. Um, uh, you know, so you can't just target media any longer. They're part of the, of the package you need to offer when you're talking about um, um, media relations. So if you have a client come to you and the client's looking for media relations, but you know that maybe it's not in their best interest to put all their eggs in that basket, how do you convince them to reinvent their PR efforts against uh, clicks instead of clips? We, we, uh, we demonstrate um, the power of, of these holistic influencer strategies. Um, we have a lot of very, very good case studies about creating brand value, uh, managing crises, doing other kinds of things that normally you would rely on media relations to do for you. And it's true that some clients want clips. Uh, some clients, um, uh, for various uh, reasons, um, uh, need that internally to build credibility among those 55-year-old and up board members who, who, are, who are setting marketing and communications budgets. But ultimately, any public any communications person, any marketing person who um, uh, is sophisticated and has any, any um, uh, hopes of, of, of thriving in this new environment doesn't, doesn't need to be convinced. Let's talk about the new environment that we are in. Obviously, uh, you know, these are tough economic times. And uh, there are some who say uh, we may be on our way permanently down as a nation. Uh, there are some who believe that perhaps this is the fall of the Roman Empire. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily one of them, uh, but I, I, I have a great deal of uncertainty about our economic future. Uh, you're guiding um, one of the largest public relations consortiums in the world. Uh, what does this mean for MSNL? I think this is a difficult time to be in any business. Um, uh, I think you know clearly we are going into an economic recession or in it already, and and that has an impact on on what all of us do. Um, but that said, I think ultimately American business, as Warren Buffett said, um, is the cornerstone of, of the future of the human race. I, I, I have great faith in um, a capitalist model. I have great faith in a, in a consumer-driven um, uh, market. I have great faith that sort of what, um, uh, you know, what we've been enjoying for the last 60 years in terms of economic growth in this country and around the world is going to continue after this, uh, this economic um, uh, a jolt is, you know, is, is we recover from it. Um, you know, we're uh, we're telling our clients in this environment that what they need to be focused on um, is communicating to the people who are important. Um, every employee of every company in the world is wondering how this economic environment affects them, their jobs, their company. It's incumbent on companies to communicate internally more than ever. It seems obvious, right? But it's not obvious. I mean, most, most big companies need to be reminded of that. Big companies need to reassure their consumers. Um, uh, in times like these, consumers reevaluate their relationship with brands. 
and they make new decisions about what's important to them. And sometimes what's important to them is it's cheaper. And you can't really build a long-term brand relationship on the notion that you're, you're cheaper. So what is it you stand for that will, that will allow you to maintain this relationship? So companies need to be talking more about uh, their core values, what they believe in, how they operate in the marketplace, how they uh, believe they'll operate in the future. It's a communications challenge um, when, when, a, when an economy goes through this kinds of crisis. And you know, I have to say that most companies in the world are not yet embracing it. Um, I think they're still trying to figure out what to do. But if you were to ask me now, is there anyone who's doing, uh, doing it right, talking about what's going on in a good way, I would say probably not. I say people are still trying to figure it out. More and more of our clients and others are starting internal communications campaigns. I expect we'll see more and more advertising um, uh, and, 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 and media relations and uh, public relations over the next few months uh, more focused on core value type issues. Um, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see companies talking about what they believe in, how they connect to CSR platforms, how they connect to their communities, you know, why they've lasted hundreds of years. You know, they'll be talking like that as opposed to hot new features for, for whatever the product is. In looking to serve the needs of global conglomerates as a PR firm, where do you see the growth coming from? Um, what, 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 what markets are you looking to acquire firms in right now? Uh, there are, uh, we talked about digital already. Um, we have a goal of 25% uh, of our revenue coming from digital programs by the year 2010. Um, uh, we're about mm, two-thirds of the way there. I think by 2010 it may be higher um, than that. Uh, digital is our fastest growing area, so we are looking all the time to acquire smart digital professionals around the world. And sometimes those people are people we hire, Sometimes those people are people who are in other firms who, who we acquire. We're also looking to build our capabilities in uh, certain emerging markets. Uh, we have a big and growing um, a footprint in China and in India. Uh, I think we need to do more in China. Uh, it's such an important market uh, for everyone in the future. Places like Brazil, places like Eastern Europe. Um, uh, very, very important to us in the future, so we're looking for acquisitions that build out our geographies. And finally, the third category is we're looking for acquisitions that um, build our capability and our revenue in the public affairs space. I think if there's anything you might observe about MSNL compared to the, uh, the uh, several of our big competitors is we are uh, we have a, a smaller footprint in the public affairs space around the world than, um, than some of our larger competitors. So that's an opportunity for us to grow an important revenue source, a profitable revenue source. When you look at China as an emerging market or India as an emerging market, uh, practically speaking, how do you tackle a market like that? Do you go directly into the market or do you establish some sort of a beachhead in Southeast Asia and one of the other regions there? You know, do you go to Hong Kong? Do you go to Singapore? How do you do it? Uh, well, uh, how we did it in China is, is illustrative, I think. Uh, we did it just that way. Um, six years ago, we started a beachhead with expat, expats uh, we sent from London, um, uh, uh, pretty much, um, and um, have, have, over the years, turned that into a full-fledged Chinese-run um, uh, and managed agency. Uh, people don't speak English. How many in people office. in the, in the uh, office? There are now uh, 55 in our two offices in China. Uh, if you count Hong Kong at 65, we're about to office an off open an office in Guangzhou. Um, uh, by this time, um, uh, the end of next year, we'll have 70 people in China. It's a fast-growing market. 
In terms of, uh, you know, there was some uh, discussion about the melamine scandals, and there were um, a number of bloggers out of China who were saying that they'd seen ads from PR firms that were saying uh, they could have content removed from Baidu, um, content that had been indexed and was potentially damaging to certain companies. I mean, when you look at a country like China, where there really is no free and open press, um, do you think, uh, you know, deals with the government is how brands are going to control their image? How's it going to work there? You know, it's changed a lot over the years. And I, I first started to go, started going to China in a business context in, um, in 2002. Um, and China then felt very much like the Wild West. Um, the media were crude, clearly uh, managed by the government, um, uh, just not an open environment at all. But, with, but as consumer freedom has expanded in China, and it, and it has, because there are more consumer products, people are aspiring to, to the same kinds of things in their lives that you and I have, as, as consumer freedom has grown, so has, so has freedom of the press. Now, I'm not going to make the case that China is an open uh, media society, but China is much more open than it, than it, than it was just, just five, six short years ago. Uh, you go to a newsstand in China, and there are hundreds and hundreds of magazine titles. Um, it, it, it looks a lot like Grand Central in New York. Um, and um, the government can't possibly control all of that, right? I mean, the government still has an impact, I think, on issues it cares about. Uh, the, the image of China, uh, certain Chinese companies, etc. But there's more and more press freedom. And I think press freedom is, is ultimately tied to the, to the success of Chinese society. You know, people say, well, you know, do you think China is going to really emerge as the most powerful uh, country of this century? Is this the, the Chinese century? My answer is it looks like it, but um, unless they get uh, their arms wrapped around the problem of personal freedom and press freedom and handle it in, a right, in the right way, then they won't then they're going to hit the wall. The, 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 the human spirit uh, will eventually um, uh, choke off the growth of, of, of the Chinese economy. So, so if, if you look at the Olympics as a case study, are they going to get it right? Is it going to take some time? What do you think? I think they did a great job in the Olympics. I mean, I think they overreacted, you know, um, in a lot of cases. But, you know, there were, there, there were no incidents of uh, uh, controversial, heavily managed um, uh, communications. Um, uh, I think the Olympics could have been very problematic for the Chinese. Um, I think it, it could have been uh, uh, wildly um, successful for the Chinese in terms of them building their, their presence in the world. I think, I think the sort of net result was somewhere in the middle. Final question. Uh, what advice do you have to aspiring public relations executives who would like to someday be managing directors of one of your firms? Well, I tell them that uh, there are probably three skills uh, that they'll need to succeed. One will be they'll need to uh, think more and more like a management consultant. Um, they'll need to think uh, the, the way a McKinsey employee or a Bain employee thinks about business. They'll need to understand profit. They'll need to understand business strategy, what drives it. That's one. Uh, two, they're going to need to understand what's happening in the digital space. And when I say understand that, I mean really understand it. Not be a visitor from a foreign land, but rather an inhabitant of this digital space. And third, I think it's going to be um, uh, very, very important for, uh, that they not lose sight of what may be the most important um, skill that, that uh, successful senior public relations and communications people have, and that is the ability to manage clients, the ability to focus on clients' needs and deliver on those needs. 
but if you're looking for a job as a managing director in, in anyone's network uh, five years from now, if you can demonstrate uh, capability and competence in those three areas, you got a good shot. Mark Haas, CEO, Manning Salvage and Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Nice to be here. Thank you so much. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.